What is it like to visit new parents, especially parents who are having their first baby? They are utterly amazed at their little miracle. And even in those first weeks, uh, there's all of this discussion. Do you think that she has daddy's eyes? Uh, do you think that he has mom's coloring? Uh, does she look like your baby pictures? Well, I want us this evening to imagine visiting Joseph and Mary there at the manger in Bethlehem. And as we come, we want to ask some questions. But the standard questions about the nose and the eyes and the hair and the coloring of the skin uh, will not do. We're not overly concerned about a physical correspondence of eyes and nose and mouth. But I want us to ask three questions at the manger. Uh, Matthew and Mark give their account of the manger as we read from John 1. There's not been a mention of the manger, but there's very much here in John that concerns that babe in the manger. The first question is, did the baby in the manger exist before his conception and birth? Now, in normal situations, that would be a rather silly question uh, to ask. Our human existence begins at the moment of our conception in our mother's womb. But the babe in the manger is different, isn't he? The word is the name that John gives to the God-man and listen to how John starts his wonderful gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me read it just a little bit more literally. In the beginning was being the Word. And what we learn from this is, A, the Word always existed. There was never a time when the word was not. John so often speaks of ongoing activity in the present. He's making an emphasis about that. But here, with a particular form that he uses, he is repeatedly speaking and underscoring an ongoing activity in the past. He was being at a time before time, before creation, in that timeless period before creation, Jesus was being. The Word was being. The Word always was. But secondly, B, notice that the Word, Jesus, always existed as a distinct person Distinct from, but close to God. Distinct from, but close to God. Here the middle part of verse 1. And the Word was with God. The Word was being towards God. If we can go back to the beginning of time, what do we see? We see in the glimpse given here that there is God the Father, there is God the Son, and the Word was always being towards him. He is different from God. 
Jesus is not the totality of God, and yet he sustained a close relationship with God, and he always sustained that close relationship with God. Thirdly, the word Jesus always was God, and the word was God. The word was being God. Jesus is not the entire Godhead. There is Father, there is Son, there is Holy Spirit. The Word is not the totality of the Godhead, but Jesus is fully God. He always was being. He was always toward God. And he always was God. All the distinctive traits of God belong to Jesus. And I encourage you to remember with me Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas said after the resurrection, no, I'm not going to believe in the resurrection. I'm not going to believe in the resurrection unless I can stick my hand into his hand where the nails were, unless I can thrust my hand up into his side. But then he saw the resurrected Jesus, and he fell before him, and he worshiped. And Doubting Thomas embraced Jesus, saying, my Lord and my God. Our first question was, did the baby in the manger exist before his conception and birth? And now our second question, how did the eternal word come to be the baby in the manger? How did the eternal word, that one that was existing in eternity past that was always towards God, how did that one become the babe in the manger? And here it is in John 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh. The word became flesh. And what we find here is that this, this is a, this is the eternal word who was with God and was with God. It was with God and was God. So we're saying the word in verse 14 is the same word that John has introduced us to in verse 1. Secondly, B, this eternal word became true humanity. He was God, and now he became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews says, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. It was flesh, but it's speaking of all of the humanity that Jesus joined to himself. Thirdly, this is a humiliation by addition. A humiliation by addition. If you take God in all of his glory and you add to God a true humanity, then that leads to God being made of no reputation. God's value, so to speak, goes from all of the worth of deity by simply adding humanity to him. There's a sharp, or sharp drop in God. There is the humbling of God. There is the veiling of his power. There is the no reputation. Fourthly, D, 
The eternal word became liable to suffering and death. The word is God. God cannot suffer. God cannot die. But here, Romans 8, verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In his deity, Jesus could not die. But in his humanity, in his body, in his flesh, he was was subject to suffering and death. E. The eternal word who made the world is nourished by an umbilical cord attached to his human mother. We sang in closing this morning, maker of Mary, now Mary's son. F, he is perfect God and he is perfect man. He is man without sin. And so there we have the two questions. Did the baby in the manger exist before his conception and birth? And how did that eternal word become the babe in the manger? And now thirdly, why? Why? Why was the eternal word born and put in the manger? This babe is one of the persons of the Godhead who became flesh and was nourished by a human mother. Here is God who is adding to himself true humanity. Here is God who is deeply humbling himself. Why? John 1, 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First of all, A, the Lamb of God points to Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. John the Baptist was speaking to a thoroughly Jewish audience. They were all intimately aware with the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. But all of those sacrifices of the Old Testament, they ultimately point to one sacrifice, the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All of those sacrifices of the Old Testament, they are utterly powerless to take away the guilt of any one person's sin. What power does a lamb have in its death to redeem or pay the ransom price of a man, woman, or boy, or girl. It's not worth enough. But the God-man's death could redeem a whole host. It's not even just one thoroughly human sacrifice, but it is a God-man's sacrifice that gives him infinite worth, the bloody lamb is the bridge between sinful man and a holy God. Secondly, B, the sin of the world speaks of the universality of Jesus' death. Once again, we remind ourselves that John was speaking to a thoroughly Jewish audience. They would know 
that when their local priest is offering some sacrifice, it is for them. Even on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest is putting his hand on the head of the goat and confessing the sins of the people. It is only for that Jewish nation. But here with Jesus, there is something altogether wonderful. There is such worth in his death that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' death is so valuable that it cannot be limited to the physical nation of the Jews. The coming of God to be man and to die has a relevance to all of humanity. And the good news from this is that whatever your ethnic background, whatever your moral failures, This babe in the manger has come with a mission for you. Your particular mass of sins. I hope you see your sins in your unconverted sins. I hope you see them to be something of a mountain. But right now, you need to understand that the great mountain of your sin that will condemn you is relatively nothing. Because Jesus has the power to take away the sin of the world. Believe that Jesus can deal with all of your guilt and he can powerfully change your life. Thirdly, see, at this time of year, we are forced to think about the baby Jesus. It is good for us to stand next to the manger and to ask these questions Did Jesus, the Word, exist before? Yes, he is timeless. He has continuous past existence. How did the Word come to be a baby? The eternal Word became flesh. Why? Why would God become a man? God became a man in order to go to the cross and to die in the place of man. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've just been looking at the beginning of John's gospel. But at the end of John's gospel, he tells us about why he wrote this book. And he says, there are many, many things that did not make it into my small little documentary about Jesus Christ. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Well, do you get into Christmas? Do you get into the lights? Do you get into the gifts? Do you get into Jesus' birthday? As you consider the nativity scene with the cows, the shepherds, Joseph and Mary, and the babe in the manger, please ask and answer these questions. When did his life begin? How is it that he came? And Why did he come? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin 
of the world. Well, let's sing together hymn number 214, Angels We Have Heard on High. 214. Twenty-four, go tell it on the mountain.
Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness that has brought the gospel of your son to us. Uh, we pray uh, for those who have not yet believed uh, in your son, that you would lead them uh, to reflect on these wonderful truths from John chapter 1. And we pray that you would uh, cause some to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to embrace him as uh, your great sacrifice for the sin of the world. And we pray that as we have opportunity to speak with uh, family and friends over these holidays, we pray that you would guide us and bless us uh, in our testifying of the grace of your gospel. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.